Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where supermodifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome to another episode of Inside Groove. I think we're up to about 33 now, something like that. Uh, presented by, of course, Jeff West and the folks at IPC Indy, Indy Performance Composites out in Indianapolis, and been trying to catch up with Westy. We were supposed to have Jeff on this week's show, but uh, he's been a jet setter this past week, uh, kind of all over the place. Ended up in Daytona, because why not? Uh, and just uh, still traveling and trying to get things situated. So um, we will get to Jeff in the next week or two. We've got a couple of other drivers who've already uh, said they would love to be on the show. we got one major legend coming up in the next couple weeks as well, and maybe two. Meanwhile, we thought we would – I've been waiting to do this particular show for, for ever since we brought the show back, and – I wanted to do it in the off season because uh when 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 your your guest of the week is your former co-host uh Rick Nelson it it really demands an opportunity to not be kind of impeded by a bunch of race results or whatever uh, else going on I just wanted to be able to sit back with Rick and talk about his career and uh old times with with us on our show uh back in New York and finally we've made it happen Rick Nelson uh this is a great day for me uh welcome back to inside groove it's kind of fun to have the band back together for a little while yeah it is it's, i appreciate you having me on tom it brings back a lot of memories you know you getting me started in radio basically by having me guest on one of your inside groove shows and then uh it uh, working into being a weekly uh show on uh, the local radio and yeah. it was always fun always contra you know controversial informative uh fun everything you know i really some of the best uh, enjoyment i had in auto racing was uh doing that radio well thank you that's great to hear and, you, and you're right it really did start with a guest spot and um it was sometime before classic the year that we did it i remember because uh we 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 had you on i think we had you on by phone the first time if i'm not mistaken and then um we talked about you coming back on to to kind of rehash the classic and you did that and going into the next season, somehow you let me talk you into doing it every week. And uh, we became, um, you know, we became a dynamic duel of some sorts. And uh, gosh, man, it uh, those were the, the those were some fun days. And, you know, I think back to kind of where we all were. I mean, it was the early 90s and, um, you know, gas was under a buck and, and you could travel around and and go to races all over the place fairly obviously inexpensively compared to what you you have to spend now and uh you and i had some great times and went to a lot of racetracks together in that time yeah we did uh you know i can remember us uh going out to uh anderson indiana for the little 500 hopping in our car afterwards and driving all night to get back when the Port City used to be uh, held on Sunday afternoon and Memorial Day weekend, and then even sometimes jumping in the car and heading up to Weedsport because they always ran sprint yep. cars on Sunday night. So 
It became an exhausting weekend, but it was always fun. But, uh, you know, I was a little bit younger there and could do a little bit more back then. Yeah, it's really true, isn't it? Uh, the older you get, you can do it, but you can't recover as fast. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's the big thing right now is the recovery time. Yeah. You can still do it, but it takes a instead of a day or so, it's a week or so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be uh, doing a little more traveling this year to, to racetracks than I, than I have the past couple. And I'm really kind of excited about it, but at the same time, I'm trying to be smart about it too but uh so i want to go back with you though because traditionally on this new version of the show as you know because you've listened to a lot of them we like to go back right and talk about you know with with our guests how they got started and what what their first impressions of the oswego speedway were and i'll be honest with you rick i don't know in all the years that you and i have known each other and in all the time we've spent on the road and whatever i don't know that i ever really heard the story of exactly how you got connected to the speedway so um how did it get started for you what was your first kind of impression of the speedway when was it how did you first get interested in it um i had a friend a childhood friend paul schwalik that uh used to go his uh, parent his father used to take him out there occasionally and uh, i joined them one saturday night for it and i think that was in 1963 was the first time that i can remember going there I never got to see the flatheads or the any any of the other type of cars run, but it was just when the super modifieds were invading at Oswego, and um, it just w- w- snowballed from there. I kind of fell in love with it. I talked my mother in the next year into going in uh, the opening in 1964, and actually my mother was became a regular, and I went till she took me there for probably five six years regularly until I was old enough to venture out there by myself and then myself and my brother started going out there oh wow okay so that was all the way back in the in the mid 60s so yeah you were you were kind of there when when the super modifieds were first coming in that I, obviously i wasn't born until 67 didn't start going until 73 so i kind of missed out on that first decade or so but i'm I know that must have been just a really glorious time to be a fan because obviously everything was a lot simpler back then. There were no rules. You still had a lot of different types of creations that kind of evolved through the sixties. Um, did you, did you, did you have a favorite driver back then? Somebody that you kind of grabbed onto? I mean, I, everybody knows it was Jimmy Champagne for me and Warren Conium, but did you have a favorite that, that you first kind of looked at before? I know you got involved later and we'll get to that, but uh, when you first started going to the 60s, did you have a favorite driver you cheered for? Yeah, I kind of, and it was more the number that attracted me was uh, Sammy Sessions. Because I just, when I went there and I saw the bingo 151, bingo 151. There, it was it was more the, the number, just the bingo 151 and uh, that really attracted me. And I think Sammy Sessions was one of my early favorites when he ran there. Sammy, that was an interesting, you, you know, you had the out-of-towners that dominated for a short time, and then, of course, Swifty and Murphy and whoever else um, came on. But the the cool thing about it back then was always those, you know, the Bingo 151, the C-15, you know, you had all these different 10 pins, 8-ball, uh, Shamrock 6, Shamrock 13, yeah, all these different sweet sixteen. There were the the cars themselves were somewhat celebrities back in those days. I think because of all the sort of nicknames that we had. 
I agree, but I think that that was one of the reasons where the cars were run for numerous years, much like some of them are in present day. But back then, I think a lot of the cars ran for years and years, you know, and years and uh, yeah, you know, so you became attached as much, you know, as much to the car as anything else. I mean, there was the orange seven of Dowker, the Bingo five of Nelly Ward, the, you know, the flying the fives, flying five drivers yep. with the, the Bowleys that became, you know, synonymous with the Swiggo Speedway, right? And uh, but you got to remember back then, you know, Swifty kind of uh, carried the banner for Central New York, but um, most of the Drivers, the super modified drivers per se, were out of towners. They were Ohio, Michigan right. drivers that came to venture to you know a swiggo every weekend. Yeah, it was uh, that had to be as a fan that had to be really interesting because it was almost like you had a hard time finding somebody local to cheer for who you know really had a good shot at winning for a little while i mean you had swifty and murphy and again some of the other but but it it did seem like it was all about the out-of-towners so you really it it may i I don't know if that you know obviously it was good and eventually that sort of started to fall off because the locals got better and better um and and started you know knocking them off and i think the out-of-towners as we got into the 70s you started to see less and less of them on a weekly basis, but still a bunch. Um, it just became more as, you know, my area, you might say, started in the early 70s. It became more normal, I think, to see, you know, your your Joyas, your Bellingers, and, and some of those guys that, are, that were local, and more of the guys from Canada, too, that really started to come on in the late 60s, like Kenny Andrews and Conium and, and some of the other guys, um, and, and started to kind of broadened out the the fan base a little bit but that that is true it was mostly uh out of town cars back in that day yeah it was you know you got to remember back when this you know super modifieds had been running out in the midwest and a lot of the other parts of the country uh, before you know before they ever ventured to a swiggle speedway and when and it actually started when you know when um i think it was art bennett showed up one classic yep weekend with a wing on the car because it was an they they built it as an open competition race right and that kind of you know slingshotted the movement into the super modifieds as as a lot of people know i mean swifty basically in his later days at it at a swiggo before you know before the super modifieds took over was basically driving the super modified it was a tube tube frame car that he just took the back ended up just taking the body off yeah wanting it barely you know or dominantly for a long time yeah yeah that was and, and it's funny because when i started going that was still running ronnie graves had it by then it was ron madison's car i think still at that point but ronnie graves was driving it and then i think uh gosh who was it joe paino i think um yeah, yeah yep. paino bought it and rebuilt it as his first car and of course he made a kind of a what you would call a more normal super modified look out of it um, right yeah so uh again i mean that period x indy cars i mean you had a little bit of everything uh that was the fun part you saw you know you went from uprights to the indy car revolution into rear engine cars four-wheel drive cars mid-engine cars because the rules were you know much more open than than they were you know than they are now so you know and the sad part of it is I hated to see now that they 
you know, they've bought up a lot of the old super modifieds that were ex Indy cars and remodeled them back into yeah. or restored them back into it because I wish some of them are, were around. You know, a lot of the Canadians ran them. You know, Andy Brown, Walt Riley had old Indy cars. Yep. Uh, Steve Joy, a senior, had one after the Bobby Pierce destroyed the upright car going down the back straightaway. They, they went out and bought one and had it there the next weekend. So it wasn't a lot to change one over, you know, in the you know, in the 60s to race at Oswego. Well, there weren't, there really weren't any rules, right? No. So it wasn't like you had to really do much, throw a cage on it and put a set of tires on it and pretty much go racing, I would I would say. Uh, you know, there probably wasn't a lot to do other than what you thought you needed to do to accommodate, you know, a 5 a mile track, obviously. Um, but in terms of what Oswego allowed, it was pretty much run what you brung so you really experienced all of the glory of that period of time and then by the time i think i started going in 73 we still had uh, a lot of variety but i think we were starting to see the what we know as the roadster kind of become the normal um the normal thing and and you know saw i think i saw what five six years of rear engines before they banned those and whatever so you still had a lot of variety but i think i think it was probably more prominent in you know that period of time from when you started going to into the early 70s when literally you could see anything show up on a Saturday night. And that probably was was a lot of fun um, when I think back on it. And, you know, I I interview some of these older drivers and they talk about (laughs) they talk about the safety back then. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't always good. (laughs) Well, the first thing you can point out to as far as safety was and it still amazes me that we got away. They got away with it for so long was. Um, classic weekend when it was, you know, that was, and that's when it was yeah. held at the end of September where they'd run the car. And then there was a lot of people that made the race that would just strap a 55 yeah. gallon drum of methanol. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there have seen photos of some of the pictures of the start of the classic and that stuff with some of the, the tanks that were on the back of it. Some people made them, but you got to remember too, even the home built ones had no fuel cells in them. Right. And there were, you know, 60, 80 gallons of methanol in those yeah uh and and we had we had some pretty scary fires in in that time period before the bladders were uh mandated and fuel bladders were mandated and and uh start everybody started running those um yeah i remember uh i interviewed warren conium way back one of one of our earliest shows and i remember him <laughs> talking about that and and it's funny because sometimes i wish i could see the people that i'm interviewing and when i'm talking to him because you could sort of hear in his voice the face that he must have been making when he was describing how crude that was and you know i really don't think i'd want to do that again he said, you know. Well, no, but it's just like it's just like anything. When youth gives you a a, a, a thinking of indestructible, yeah, you know, you're indestructible. So you don't you don't really think of anything of that. You know, you can equate it to modern day these people that fly around and you know suits off of mountains and stuff like that. Yeah. They're just you know they're thrill seekers. They think you know they don't think it's going to happen to them or can happen to them, but. You know, it's just well, part of I'm, life and part of maturity. I think after, you know, when you think back and go, wow, I really did that. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, in, in back then, you know, I mean, it was really all you knew, right? I mean, nobody knew any better. <laughs> well, it was all of that. Fire suits, helmets, <laughs> yeah. everything. You know, the whole safety aspect has just grown you know. It's just exponentially now, which is, is, is a good thing. It, it is a good thing. It's just funny now to hear 
th- these guys talk about that back then. And uh-huh. it's not Agreed. so much that, that they talk about it as how scary it was, but just it, like you just said, it's like, gosh, did we really actually do it that way? You know, I can't believe I did that. Um, but, you know, again, uh, part of the sort of the, 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 the charm, I guess you could say, of, of uh, racing in general back in those days, not just supers. But you started, when did you actually, did, was Jamie your first involvement with uh, pit crew wise on the super? Uh, yeah, Jamie, I started helping because he was a college Friend, but I was involved in photography, obviously. Well, not obviously. My my people might now know that, but I, you know, that's where I became more involved with anything. Was that I became a photographer. Okay, you so know, you started that people. first before you started working with Jamie, because I was never sure of that either. No, yes, no. I was a I was a photographer first, then I kind of, and I never gave it up. I just helped Jamie when we raced at Oswego. That's right. why there's a there's a lull in like my archives there you know not a lot of pictures from when i was crewing with jamie because that's what i concentrated on but i still went to uh dirt tracks and other stuff like that and still covered you know photography you know i did a lot of photography work back then i think it was uh for the new england cavalcade of auto racing i think i was working for then okay and how what got you started in photography i just always i always liked it i i started taking pictures a little bit when um um, I went to used to go to the Glen with Joe Gozak and his dad and stuff, and I started taking you know a little instant you know just instamatic pictures and stuff like that. But I've I don't know I've always had this creative part of me. I've just like you know photography was part of it. But as you know, I painted helmets, I painted race sure cars, did. I've you know, done a you know. So I think I think that was just another part of the creative side of me wanting to you know create just create different things. Look you know look at different ways to take pictures and stuff. And that's what I still do today. Sure do. Very well, I might Try and do things that other people don't do or don't see that often. Well, and that is, you know, I look at your photos, and and you do a lot of unique things. And, of course, you don't just photograph racing. You're doing a lot of baseball and and different things. Um, But you, you really have an eye for a shot, and you seem to have an eye for how can I find a different way to tell the story? And, and that's what I, I always loved your pictures because of that. And, you know, I think photography tends to be a lot of kind of monkey see monkey do, you know? Um, I mean, I can take a really great picture with my camera um, and it's nice and clear and looks like a professional actually shot it, but it really isn't, necessarily unique i think photography so much of it is is trying to find a different angle or a different approach to a shot or capturing a unique moment and you seem to have that and and you've always had that in your in your photography well i've always i've always tried to do that i used to argue with writers and that stuff that you know that um if it wasn't for photographers nobody pick up a a paper and look at it because the pictures draw them to it and then they you know, a- end up reading the stories. I don't know if that was is true, but that's what I used to tell them just to, you know, rankle their feathers a little bit. <laughs> that's, you know, I started kind of getting into that when um, some of the trade papers started using more of my photos and that stuff because I was never one to sit in one area and take pictures. I'd always, you know, even on a Saturday night, I would move constantly around. And I always, that's what I always meant to do. I always thought, even on a Saturday night, I could tell a story just with my pictures. 
Right. And I always, I always enjoyed the human aspect more. I mean, a lot of the people like cars and everything else, but I always like seeing, um, you know, I always like the photography, you know, the, the fans, the drivers, especially, um, speedway scene really, um, took me another step because Val Lasur, who had just, um, my editor who had just passed away and owned speedway scene for a lot, many years. Um, he, he, he thought that way too. He used, I think he published more pictures probably in that time period during a weekly publication than anybody. Area Auto Racing News right now is very good at doing yeah, that stuff. Yeah, they are. It's right. Still, it's more. It's even if you look at Area, it's more the cars and it's not as many much as the people. And Val, if you looked at some of the old Speedway scenes, it was a lot of um, human interest stuff or people seeing it. I mean, it was a big deal for a driver back in that day to be on the cover of Speedway scene. Well, it really, yeah, and and as I remember that paper, it used to almost always be people on the front cover or front uh, page. It was, it yeah. Was, it was gen- generally a person, gen- you know, generally a driver, a crewman, yeah, uh, somebody, somebody that had something to do with a weekly thing. I can remember one of the things is I I knew I got to know Tommy Baldwin and he uh, you know he'd come to a swiggle and that one when they were racing modified yep. monthly or a couple of times. They were there quite frequently, and he kept asking me, "When am I going to be on the cover?" I said, "When am I going to be on the cover?" And I said, "I have no, I, said, I have no control over that." I said, "But I'll see what I can do for you." And I think it was a Memorial Day weekend. He had a really good weekend. I, he might have won at a swig or finished second. He won a couple other races, and I said, "You know, I took, I had taken some headshots of him at the drivers' meeting." And I sent him into Vale, and I stuck him in there and said, you know, Vale, he really, and he put him on. And he came up, you know, a couple of weeks later, and he said, did you have anything to do with this? And I said, well, I said, I sent him in. I said, that's all I can, that's about as much as I had to do with it. <laughs> well, and see, that's that's what, and, and even with my coverage lately or my kind of aspect of it, um, I've missed being involved as much as I used to be with the short tracks. And that's one of the things that I'm working on for this year is to, to try and, and get back to that. But, um, Speedway scene was one of those really short track focused. And I thought, um, very engaging publications to read. And we had a number of them back then. I mean, obviously at Gator racing news, um, you, you know, you, you, you had trackside magazine, which I think, um, I was trying to remember how you and I first ended up crossing paths. And I think that I remember, uh, after a lot of racking my brain that, it was through trackside that somehow that's what got us together originally um, because you were shooting photos for trackside and they hired me to do some writing. And then we started collaborating where you obviously would put your photos with my article or whatever. Right. And I think that's what got us started actually. And that was a, re- I thought of a really cool magazine. I, I really hated that it didn't last longer than it did. Cause I thought Dean Nardi and bones and, and the staff there did a great job on that magazine. They did, but I, that's really what got us started. Cause then, when you started writing for it, then uh, we started traveling together, yes. going to races. That's more what I thought. Together, so we could be together. So I knew what you wanted to, what you were going to write about, what I needed to get photos of, and everything just, you know, evolved from there. Really? It was, you know, it was a great time back then. I mean, it, it, it's been a lot, you know, it was a great time. It's, it's, I'm having fun getting 
my feet wet again in it. Like I don't you know, a lot of people might not know known me from back then and that because I went away and got involved in minor league baseball and right. I, I still am heavily involved in it as you know, as I work as the you know, for the um Syracuse Mets in the Auburn Double Days and um, you know, now I try to get to the races as much as I can. I just in fact I just came back from the Rolex twenty four hours and Oh wow. I've always had a soft spot for road racing. A lot of it's from the artistic standpoint, is it's just a different view, a different angle, just a little bit of different everything that I like to photograph. Yeah, that's fun. I didn't realize you went to the Rolex. That's still a bucket list item for me. I'm hoping maybe next year I'll get there. But uh, it's that that must have been quite a good time uh, going down there and doing that. Sports cars are an entirely different breed than what you and I are used to dealing with. Oh yeah, but I've been going. You know, I Watkins Glen being basically in our backyard. Right. I started going to Formula One races there, and then. That just, you know, and I always enjoyed it, like I said. So I used to go to a lot of road racing and stuff down, you know, down there. And I, I still do go, you know, go to all, sure. you know, two or three road races a year. And it's, I really enjoy it. I enjoy the people. Uh, it's, it's just, a, you know, and, and I, it's fun. It was, it was you know, it, it had kind of tapered off for a, while, a little bit, but it's really grown. The past five years, this was the biggest crowd I saw as far as, uh, the Rolex goes. It was had they had a huge crowd there for the the this last edition of the twenty four hours. Yeah, sports car racing is really uh, on the rebound, I think. And with Roger Penske now in control of uh, Indy, I think you're going to see that play into the sports car. Uh, kind of rebound quite a bit uh, in the coming years because it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a, a, a festival-type deal at Indy at some point in the next uh, couple of years with NASCAR, IndyCar, and um, and IMSA all on the same weekend at uh, IMS. I really believe that that's something that's coming. Uh, it's just a question of when. But I know that's something Roger wants to do and he certainly has the ability to do it. But getting back to you, you started working for Jamie. How did you, you said you were college buddies. Um, right. Is is that kind of, you know, hey, I want to go racing. Can you help me out? Or, or how did that kind of come about? Well, that's why I met um, Jamie through, um, we were going to the same university, and uh, I actually met Jamie through um, Daryl Packham through my cousin Timmy. Okay. Um, Timmy, Daryl wanted to go to Thompson, which at the time was the race that they have in, in October, and it was called the Gold Cup back then. Oh, okay. And there wasn't a lot of a swiggle cars went down there. Some did. But Daryl, this was back when he had the Maroon Upright 44, and he wanted to go down there, and Timmy was uh, helping him out a little bit, and they needed somebody else to go. And Timmy asked me if I was interested, and I said, sure, free ride down to Connecticut to watch races. Why not? <laughs> so that's where I kind of – because Jamie's – wasn't available so i went down there with him and so through daryl i met jamie and it just you know so then i worked with daryl the next year with jamie and everything so uh it just it started out with daryl and jamie and you know and i you know together jamie and i and daryl's picture we went through the the i got to work one couple of races with the 44 but that's when the next uh and then the next year after he had he had the 44 but with Daryl, we evolved from the uh, the upright forty four to the Joe Orso first just IndyCar roadster that we were that right. Darryl okay, and that I worked on, 
And then we ended up buying the Brian Asgood independent front suspension car that Jamie and I worked in on. And that ended up being the car that Jamie and I kind of co-owned when Jamie first started. I didn't have as much invested in it as Jamie did, but I, you know, I had a few dollars invested in it. And that's where, you know, Jamie and I first started uh, going. And we, we stayed together until uh, Jamie started, you know, until Jamie started driving for um, Jack Colvin. Okay. Okay. And the 21 car. So that would have been, I think, 1980. And uh, then you went back to uh, focusing on photography. Right. Interesting. Well, in the 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 crew, uh, working on the cruise obviously gave you another perspective that I'm sure probably, in some way, shape, or form, actually helped you to think differently about your photography when you really went back to it. Oh yeah, did I got to know some of the drivers and stuff like that? Because with me, I always approached. You know, I, I got to know a lot of the drivers. You know, and I could go up and talk to them, but I never really made that a, a point to get you know to become you know. You know, not I don't want to say friends because we right. were friendly, but uh, you know, I just looked at it as you know, uh, I'm news media and I'm here to you know, take pictures of you and stuff, and just I you know, you, you got friendly with them because if you needed a picture, you needed this or needed that, that you would uh, you know, garner their you know their trust and acceptance right. or what you wanted to do with it. I just, but uh, you know, I I was never one that just you know hung out with a particular crew, but I got that. that how doing that with Jamie helped a lot because I got to know a lot of the drivers and stuff. I, that's how I um, I got to meet uh, Jimmy Champagne is through him. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Jimmy and Daryl were always right. Very that's good how. Friends. That's yeah. what it was. That's because of that. You know that yeah. affiliation with Daryl and Jimmy that um, uh, I got to know Jimmy quite well. In fact, he attended our wedding. <laughs> oh, okay. Very cool. Were you working on the crew when Jimmy drove Daryl's car a couple times, or was that? Before? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that was I I I vaguely remember that and I remember the first time he didn't necessarily do so well but then the second time he got in it I remember him running a lot faster than he did the first time and um I'm sure that must have been a huge thrill to be able oh, to and Jimmy yeah, probably you know, gave some great feedback too It was you know Jimmy was a great guy you know I you know he used to um give him pictures and all that stuff when he drove the close 69 I had taken some pictures of him, and I showed him, and for whatever reason, I don't, he saw something in the pictures that I didn't. He goes, I got to take that. He said, because this, this picture is showing these guys what I'm trying to tell them, and they don't understand. So whatever that was, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was like that. Interesting. And, uh, I'm trying to think of the other, the, the, probably the best I ever helped Jimmy out was at the Star Classic, and I want to say it was maybe – 1979. It's, <laughs> <and> <laughs> that would be Mrs. Nelson. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, he, uh, it was the year that he dominated. Well, he won, uh, he won the Oswego classic flag to flag. And then he went up to uh star speedway and won flag to flag that weekend also. But they, uh, they had a, I don't know if they took a break on the track or there was a red flag. But I, if people don't remember back then, they used to wear what they called a sissy strap and hooked to their helmet and hooked underneath their arm. Okay, to hold their head, head from up. Being, yeah. From being thrown to, to the outside of the car. Right. He, I was sh- taking pictures up there at the time. It was the offset roadster that he had. And he kept motioning to me, come here, come here, come here, come out to the car. And, you know, so I went out and I 
asked me, he goes, he asked me, he goes, is that camera strap detached? I said, yeah. He said, I need it. So we took my camera strap, detached it, hooked it onto his helmet because he forgot to put his sissy strap on, and his <laughs> neck was killing him, and he went on to, to win the race. Well, there you go. Did he I think th- I still have the strap somewhere along with the picture. <laughs> I was going to say. Where it is and all my stuff, I don't know. Did he thank you at Victory Lee? <laughs> Thanks for. I don't know. Jimmy was, you know, he was kind of, kind of low key type of person. But, you know, he gave me the strap back. <laughs> That's funny. Well, here again, I mean, those are the stories that make, uh, make the sport what it is and those little moments of uh interaction there but yeah that that was just such a the the 60s and 70s were the salad days in in the super modified division and just the the level of competition i mean i i key, I, I was just reading through a couple of programs from 1975 and i just keep remembering that year as maybe being the absolute sort of apogee or pinnacle of um, of of competition at Oswego in that era because the names that you had, there were probably 15 to 20 drivers that could win on any given week. I think we had 8 or 10 or 11 different feature winners that year, um, and so many drivers got their first win in 75. It was just so much fun back then. You just never knew who was going to win on a given Saturday night. It was. You used to get, you know, when we were kids, you'd jump on your bike. Obviously, in the 70s, I had graduated high school and stuff, but it was still exciting to, to see. I always remember, it was always exciting to, to, to see when somebody built a new car. You wanted to be there to see, you know, the new car, you know, come off the trailer, however it was. That, and you got to remember, in the 60s, early 70s, that was the era of open trailers. Yes. You, know, you drive down the road. You'd be in the, you know, in the pickup truck hauling the car, and you know, kids would be, you know, jumping in their other passenger cars, looking at the race cars that went by, and that was always fun when when you did that, and that was, you know, it was it was a great time, you know, to grow up. I mean, yeah, I've been really lucky was. enough to see the start of the super modified at Oswego, and still see the evolution that it's gone through right now, and at the and to the point we're at right now, and still seeing that. There is kids out there that, you know, there's still a lot of talent out there, and there's still kids wanting to get into Super Modifieds. And, you know, and Tyler Thompson comes to, to uh, oh, yeah. mind right now. You know, he's he's one, I, I really enjoy watching him race, and I really think he's got a, a lot of talent, and, you know, and I think he's he can go um, a long way. I think right now they've just got to narrow their focus down onto what he's what, – you know what type of car he's going to drive and concentrate on well i had some interesting conversations uh in recent uh weeks here about tyler with some folks i think i think that process you're going to see that start to play out here uh there are some folks that really have an interest in uh in tyler and in and an interest in seeing him go somewhere and um, so it'll be, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens for him. You know, the hardest part in this day and age, obviously, is that the cost of all of it is, is just so much greater than it used to be. So you don't have as many car owners that are able to just pick a driver based on their talent because they alone don't have the resources to, to fund an entire season, you know, of, of a race team. So, you end up having to try to choose drivers that can help fund 
what you want to do with the race car. And, and, you know, that's what makes it harder for somebody like Tyler to actually break through. But I think, I think his, uh, his day is coming if he just stays humble and, um, you know, and, and, and will just, just keep listening and, and getting better at his craft. I think, uh, we may see Tyler go somewhere. I think so. He really impressed me with last year's classes. I knew he was really fast and, when he took off to the lead, I, 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 you know, I thought he was gonna, you know, burn the tires up off the car. But you could see him, you know, when he got a lead. I don't know if he had somebody signal him. I oh, don't he know did, how yeah. They, how it went on, but he would slow down and let them catch up just, just to, you know, save the car and the tires. And I, you could see the maturity in last year's classic in Tyler. Well, it was interesting because I don't know if it was maturity or just following orders. Because and I teased him about it over the holidays when I was up there. I had lunch with him one day, and and I and I teased him about it because I I actually went to the grandstand for the classic, and and so I was I was watching, and, and yeah, his his dad and half the crew were in turn one with a big signboard, and he took off and took got out in the lead. And he's he's running time trials, but not quite, you know, but he's running low 17s. And I think he actually might have gotten in the 16s a couple times um, or low uh, 16s. Um, and, and he's just flying and, and I'm running the watch. And then all of a sudden you go from, you know, 16.4 to 17.7. And it's you could see the big signs slow down. Um, you know, he didn't realize how fast he was going. He was just going. And right. so they were literally, it was funny because you'd see the signal to slow down. He'd slow down for a while. Then they would say go and he would go. And it was, it was almost driving the car from turn one, basically. But it was, um, he just had one of those cars that, you know, you, you get that every once in a while in a classic where you have one car that just is heads and shoulders better than everything else, it seems like. And they hit on all cylinders and, and Tyler, Tyler obviously drove it the way that he needed to in order to make sure that he won. And um, you can't say the other guys didn't have a shot. We had a couple of late race cautions that put him on his bumper and nobody could could stay with him. So um, it was funny to watch that. But it was it that was a really I don't know that 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 type of I don't think you could see that type of performance in a classic or I don't, you know, it's just, it, that would be very hard to duplicate. That was just one of those days when it all worked out well for him. It did. It, it reminded me of when champagne led yeah. um, all 200 yeah. laps. It was similar to that. But it, like you were saying though, about them signaling, it's one thing to, you know, draw game plan, signal a kid, but it's, it's another thing. You have to have, you know, some maturity behind Correct. the wheel to execute. That's the right. <laughs> exactly. You could have easily just not slowed down enough not sped up at the right time right. or not going, you know, have just things go through his mind where I'm like, am I going fast enough? They're telling me to slow down. Now they're telling me to go. How fast do I go? So, you know, he, he had, the, he had, you know, the seat of the pants feel of, of that race car on that given day. Yeah, it, it really was, you know, and, and he had been in the wall in warmups. So it wasn't like, right. You know what I mean? The, you, you know, you, yep. you, it's, it's, I, I think, you know, you, you kind of make up for that mistake when you go out and do what he did the race. But it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was something to watch for sure. And I and think I, you always ahead. thought about Otto, you know, lurking there and Michael Barnes who always, you know, going yep. along different races and stuff. But that's part of the, you know, the whole thing. I, 
I got to see Otto start out, you know, back in Oswego yeah. in the 79. I went away for a while, you know, but I always kept touch with what sure. was going sure. on. But, you know, I'm absolutely positively impressed with Otto Sitterly. The guy, he's a, he's a, a, a terrific driver. You know, he's a terrific preparer of race cars and multiple race cars with that stuff. But he's still, at the same time doing that, taking care of other people's cars you know, that are in the stable. He's right. also, you know, driving well, you know. he, Jim Champagne told Jamie and I once, he said, you don't win races at the racetrack, you win them at the garage. And if um, if anybody in a swiggle that races currently now, Otto is the epitome of, of that. He comes prepared. You very seldom see go out there for, you know, numerous, you know, hot lap sessions. He goes out there occasionally. He knows what he's got. He knows what he needs to do with the car. And, um, you know, he, as far as, you know, great drivers that, are, you know, that have raced at Oswego, he, he's one of the few that I'd put up there on a, on a tier with Champagne because he, he is, you know, he's, uh, he, he mimics the way um, Champagne raced. Well, I think he mimics the way Jimmy prepared for a race, as you, as you said. And I think that's really, it's much easier to go look great as a driver when you've done all the homework during the week in the, in the shop. And I don't want to take away from his driving ability. I'm just saying that, you know, you, you give yourself much more of a leg up when you put the time in, in the shop during the week. And, you know, that's the one thing I think out of, out of all of the sort of criticism that, I see in the sport of this sort of youth movement where kids are moving up so fast and whatever. I think a lot of people see a lot of these kids and the the kids don't learn to work on the cars they drive. And so I think part of the, the, the way that the fans react is based on the fact that, you know, they're just, they're just getting in the car and driving and not having to actually work on them during the week, I think people respond to guys like Otto and Jimmy and, you know, and that's why when I look at, at the drivers that are sort of big in NASCAR now, you, you look at a guy like Justin Haley, who is a young kid who has his own dirt modified team, goes to the track, does all his own work on the car, gets in the car, drives it, wins races on dirt, and then goes, you know, and jumps in an Xfinity car and runs up front the next day. You know, Justin is a little bit of a throwback in that sense, in that, you know, he um, he likes to be involved and he enjoys, you know, running multi-surfaces and, and in different types of cars when he can. And I think that's one thing we're missing now. So a driver like Otto absolutely wins during the week and then goes to the track and executes the plan that he set. Um, and you're right. I mean, he's just a beast. And I and I do think that it would be interesting, you know, you, you think about the time machine kind of aspect. If you could take him back to the 70s and drop him in a car, you know, it would be interesting to see how he would fare back then. And, and people forget he was a dirt driver. So it's not like right. he was, well, I, that, you know, that's one of the unfair arguments right now is people go, well, he didn't have, you know, it, it, and it went with anybody that dominated uh, any, in any type of class, you know, it was Otto, it was Greg Furlong, right. it, you know, it was Eddie Ballinger, it was whoever, you know, well, you know, back in my day, there was many more drivers that could do that. And I go, you know, it, it, you're right, but you got to understand, you know, the driver is is doing what he needs to do. He can't pick 
who drives, you right. know, what type, Correct. type of competition, right. who's there or whatever. That's you right. Know, all he has to worry about is himself. And that's, you know, he's, he's, you know, dominated the, you know, the 2000s, but, you know, the, or the late 2000s, you know, it's, it's, it's been fun. You know, it's uh, from afar and up close been fun to watch, but you know, there, I, and this isn't to belittle anybody. I mean, I'm not belittling anybody. I mean, it would have been great, you know, Greg Furlong, Eddie Ballinger back in, you know, the seventies, you know, Bentley Warren, Champagne, Swift, you know, we've had all Britons. There's been drivers that never won a million races here, but have been, you have been really good because right. just because of the way the competition was back there, there was, you know, never, you know, never, uh, you know, a long, a long forgotten, or I don't want to say long forgotten, but one of my favorites, and and it, it again, it goes with the car. Was Ryan Lux was one of my favorites in the sixties and stuff deuce. like. That. You know, he he you know he showed up. You know, and again, that the car kind of attracted me to. Well, actually, the, what attracted me was the STP fire suit that he used to wear. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, as a kid, that that's kind of you know. But I mean, you got to look back at that. We've had a lot of drivers that have gravitated to higher classes, you know, basically IndyCar, NASCAR. Yeah. Doug Hebron comes to mind. I mean, Doug Hebron was a multi-talented. He drove, you know, IndyCars. He drove, you know, you know, stock cars, modified division. He drove, you know, everything, you know, and he drove it well. Yeah, you and I, you and I attended a couple of little 500s where he was racing and, Yep. Gosh, I don't remember what year it was, but there was one race where he he led. Geez, I don't know, two, three hundred laps or whatever. And it was almost like, and then the and then the motor blew up, and it was almost like the motor just finally turned around, looked at him, and said, "That's it, I quit." Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was, it was you know, it was that's what I'm. That's another race that if fans aren't out there, get out there and see it. Oh, you know, it's an amazing race to, to watch. You know, I know Bobby Santos, who a lot of people are familiar, probably the most familiar name to. Northeasterner races out there every year, and he hasn't won it yet, but he's, you know, he's trying his best too. But it's an amazing race to watch. Well, and you and I—that was one of the things. I mean, you know, just thinking about all the things that you and I were able to do together, and that you you gave me the chance to do. Um, the the little five hundred. You think of the drivers that we saw when they were still in that period you know jj yaley i mean a, a number of drivers oh um that that were weren't you know in nascar or in indycar or wherever yet um they were still running the open wheel series that race attracts such a a talented group of drivers and yet a lot of short trackers that you know that nobody really necessarily knows as being stars, but boy, they run well in that discipline, and it really makes it a fun race. And it's a it is a beast physically to get through five hundred uh, laps in a sprint car on that on that track at Anderson. I do. I, I've always wanted to see a super modified race there because oh, of the banking too. and stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've raced high bank, you know. You know, like Winchester and Salem yep. and that stuff, but they're also a lot bigger tracks with high banks. That, yeah. uh, but I, I always wanted to see the Supers run at uh, at Anderson, so I thought it would probably put on a good show. I agree. Yeah, fun track. I mean, that would be. I'm glad to see that they've got uh, a couple of shows at IRP, um, LORP, whatever, whatever it is. Um, that that uh, that that they're running now, and 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 I hope that the the promoters of those shows will be persistent because it's going to take, I think another year or two for the, for those shows to kind of gain the respect. But 
I, I think somehow if we can get those dates on off dates for the rest of the, like the East Coast Supers, if we can make it um, and make it attractive, I would love to see because I think I think you need those shows in the Midwest to expand your your fan base and those are the type of shows to me you run it irp you run a show at anderson or wherever um those are the type of shows to me that are going to really bring supermodifieds back to a more national attention again where you can start to then maybe um expand the class i think that's when we lost the 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 michigan base and in a lot of those i think that's what's kind of contributed to the the downfall of supers in you know in the way of car counts and such is not only the expense but we lost that sort of blanket coverage that we used to have all those years ago and i'd like to see us start getting some of those big shows back to prominence because if we can do that you know i think there's because i know a lot of people that that will see the supers like on the speed sport shows that they do on mav and Man, you know the people down here freak. They're like, "Holy cow, those things are amazing!" You know, and uh, but you never get to see them up close because you have to travel so far. So if we could somehow start getting some shows back, and and for the guys who are trying to promote like an IRP, if we could get some good car counts there and get some of the best in the in the division to go run there. I think you you know you'd bring the supers back in 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 a way. I think you're right there, Tabby, but the first thing they, I, I, they really need to do is the, the traveling sanctioning bodies, I really think, need to put egos aside and yes. come up with an a, 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 a open package or a, a, a package standard of rules yeah. standard that they can run at and, and a schedule where they're combined. Like, you can have a Midwest IMSA and a, a New England-based one, you know, I've talked to people the past, you know, year or two, you know, that are in, still involved with it. Yep. And you need something where you go, you travel, you, you've got to have multiple races on a weekend like, right. for, to get the Ohio guys to go to New England and the New England guy drivers to come and owners to come to Ohio. You need to, you need to get that first, but you can alternate, you know, you don't really need more than, you know, 16 races. So you have eight weekends and you split them, you know, Four out in the Midwest, four out in the you know in the New England area, right. and racing you know a couple of nights you know, and that way there's not that expense. You split the expense up evenly between the two because it's a long way for New England cars right. to go to Ohio and Ohio cars to go into the New England area because ISMA has become predominantly an, a, a New England based organization now, just because of the type of cars. You're never going to get rid of the wings because people have to understand. The wing is was basically put on the car because when they traveled around, it was the easiest way to adapt quickly to a racetrack and put on a good show. And and that's basically, you know, the background of why wings are run on super modified or why wings are run on any type of you know car, really. Yeah, and 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 that's just that's another piece of it because. See, you know, now a Swiggo, we, we've gotten to these, you know, the, the, the tail wing or, you know, and, and, and I think again, um, it's, it just makes it more difficult because when you travel, you've got to have the top wing and not everybody's set up for that top wing. And so it's almost, you know, it's difficult. I, I love the wings and, and I don't, you know, I don't personally care what, 
you know, whether they go with a top wing or a tower or whatever. But I think somehow we've got to come to where we we can have the same car in the same situation across the board so that everybody's you know has the chance to be competitive everywhere they go um and the motor rules need to be the same the tires need to be the same we we've got to get this to a point where you know all the cars that are running are you know as reasonably close in rules as possible so that whether you're going to the midwest or new england or whether you're going to go run a swigo I I just think you've got to you got to find that somehow. Um and I also think that everybody that wants to have a super modified race should be, should all get together every fall and try to work out a schedule where the biggest races don't have conflicts. I know it's impossible to avoid all conflicts. The Swiggo runs 10, 12 shows a year. You know, Isma wants to run X amount and whatever you can't. But like your biggest races, your Sandusky Classic, your Star Classic, the IRP shows, which I think should be given a lot more respect than they are um, at this point. Um, you know, you're a Swiggo, obviously a Swiggo Classic, whatever. You want all the best cars at all the biggest shows, in my opinion. And then if you if you achieve that, you can go try to find dollars from companies for those shows because those are sort of the best of the best. Um, and, and you can make them so that it's easier for everybody who wants to go to go because there's more money available and, and you know, coverage, whether it's radio or TV or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but you want... I think you need all of those shows to be clear of, you know, weekly competition if you're going to make them work. Well, I agree. I agree with you. But the, the, the whole problem, again, is the race car itself. Most, you know, you always want the, the you know, the best mousetrap. And racing at a swiggle, for the people that, that race at a swiggle right now, they don't need to, you know, as much as people think it's, it's easy to just bolt a wing a top wing on and go it's race. Not. It's different. The geometry and the suspensions, the way everything is set up, is totally different. It's just, yeah. you know, it's like night. You know, it's like night and day. So, you know, and you know, back, unfortunately, you and I grew up in the day where the car was, you know, versatile enough to race anywhere, including yeah. dirt. Yeah. You know, to race. A lot of people, you know, realize that we raced. Yeah. You know, back in the day with the super modified <laughs> fairgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, Mike Rizzo and Chuck Zipperich ran a few URC shows at uh, Weed Sport or Rolling Wheels or wherever they yes, were. Yes, they did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that used to happen every now and again. And, and those shows at Syracuse were. Um, I, I th- just, I just, yeah, I just don't think the cars, the, the present day car is versatile enough to compete on both be, just because of the, the specialization of everything. Yeah. You know, and, stock packages, the way everything is, the motors, you know. You can talk to a, diff- a lot of different people about, the, you know, the Isma motors being different than the Oswego motors and everything else, and they they probably are internally somewhat different. But, I mean, you know, it takes as much horsepower to pull that rear wing down the straightaway at Oswego as it does, you know, a top wing, you know, because you people, you know, sure. the top wing, the, the one thing with the top wing, it lays down when you're going down the straightaway, so you have a little less resistance than right. you actually do probably 
off the uh, the tailwing that Oswego's running on their cars right now. Yeah, I just, like I said, I just wish we could, because however you get to that, and I surely don't have all the answers, I'm I'm the least mechanical guy on this uh, interview right now, but, <laughs> but, um, but, I, but I mean, you know, looking at it from the standpoint of someone who does promotion and does marketing and does those things, you really need to... To like I said, it's it's a shame that IRP is now running two shows this year, and I don't think because of scheduling, I don't think they're going to get twenty cars at either one of them because um, there are conflicts with both. And I think if you're going to run a show like that, and somebody's willing to to do that, I think that the super modified intelligentsia as a whole needs to realize that we need those shows. You know, I think it's I think it's imperative that we have all of that go come together. If they're going to run shows at IRP, we need to make sure that as ISMA, as Oswego, as MSS, we do all we can to try and support those shows. And um, so I I think somehow we've got to unite that that schedule and decide what are the biggest races in super modified racing. And if I if those promoters are going to be serious. I think over the the off season this year, I think I think Oswego, Isma, and MSS should should get on a conference call with with those guys and say, hey, you know, here's we want to try to help this help these shows to be big shows. How can we work out the calendar so that you know there's there's there are no conflicts for for those two shows because that's. I think we need those those shows at IRP to be big shows, and those those promoters seem very serious about building them. And I think that, like, I just believe that you've got to have um, shows like that in those markets to be able to build the super modified, uh, you know, fan base and uh, car count back up again. I agree. I think I'd like to see them at least put their differences away, and then maybe in the future get try and work on a, a you know a, a rules package, but. If a lot of the drivers want to see the super modified division grow, you know, you got to get out to like IRP. I mean, it's a high visibility area where yes. there's a lot of open wheel people involved. Yes. A lot of companies are involved. Yep. And if, you know, if you're going to go to any racetrack out of outside of a Swiggo Speedway because of the just a Swiggo having the history that it has, IRP is the you know the place to go to. I mean, we keep referring to it as IRP, but I think it's Lucas, Lucas Oil Speedway now. Lucas or? Oil Raceway, I think is what right. it is. It used to be Raceway Park. I mean, it's, that's yeah. why I, I, you know, L O R L O R P. That that track that formerly known as Indianapolis Raceway Park. Right. You um, know, <laughs> when, the, when the when the tracks get started naming after you know. Um, product that kind of computes it yeah it does <laughs> well and i think but you know you and i attended some of the you know i i never you know it was a great time out in irp when you know they had the east west oh my gosh out there that you was know, that, that was great then when we went down to uh charlotte down to concord they had yep. the east west races down there and, yep you know i'd like to see some of the 350s come back this way if they could work out something you know i i think they should just you know let them run you know Put put a show together and let them run run and see what happens with you know the rules packages run as each organization has it and then refine them from there. Well, see, I really didn't think. I mean, you know, I thought the competition at both what was then IRP and at Concord when they did those two combined shows, I thought they were pretty equal. I mean, 
you know, I didn't see a whole lot of difference between the two of them. So whatever was going on then to kind of equalize the two, well, I think that's a good place to start. Obviously, I know the cars on the east coast have changed a lot. Um, So, you know, you'd have to sort of re-figure that out. But you're right. There's... You know, I think we all need to be thinking big picture. And I, I, I think sometimes people get get caught up in, you know, I want to do what's best for me and I really don't care about the rest of it. Or, you know, I can't be bothered to, you know, to, to, to change my car a little bit for these shows because, you know, whatever. And I think if we all want super modified racing to grow again and not just sort of hang around, um, you know, I think it's important that we try and get everybody in you know the same area the west coast has those cars like you said let them come and run you know do what you can to make sure that things are equal but i remember i can't remember was it aj who was it russell that that bentley just beat out at uh at, at irp in that in that east west showdown um and you know that race was to me was very equal and and bentley pretty much just used his his craft, you know, the not yeah. his knowledge of his craft to just sort of pinch AJ enough to to right. to beat him to the line. And then over here at Concord we had a couple of guys that were fast as well from the West Coast. Um so I just don't you know, I think there's a way to do that. And, you know, we've got to be able to envision super modified racing five or ten years from now. Um you know, and what does it need to be? And I, and this is going to be an interesting year for me with ISMA because I feel like the schedule they've made with a lot of the races being in New England, if 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 you can't rebound your car count back to twenty plus running in your backyard, then you know the the message kind of gets sent. So I'm hoping that you know that more people come out to play since they don't have to travel as far for most of the races um and they've you know they open to the swiggle you got a show or two in canada um i i think you've you've got a nice schedule for them mss just struggles because they're kind of isolated and it's hard to you know you got to get people interested in buying or building cars you know and so how you know that's that's a, a whole different process for them but I think, like I said, these IRP shows could be a real key to, you know, to building that organization, especially. Um, so I don't know. It's just uh, I think there's there's hope and I think it's encouraging. Um, but I, I think it's still, like you said before, it's a matter of people putting their own preferences aside in favor of what's the big picture got to be in order for all of this to work instead of what well, we're just you know, mainly focused on what we're doing over here and we want what we want. I think it needs to be what's best for everything as a whole. Well, well, I'm talking to you. What are your thoughts on Greg Furlong coming out of retirement? You know, we we uh, haven't had a chance to, We like I said, we, we've been wanting to get Jeff on the show. Greg is going to be one of the drivers that Jeff um plans to to put in the in the car um i don't want to you know i'm not going to out scoop jeff but hopefully when jeff does get on the show he'll tell us what he told me uh last week i think people well, my are... guess is that bobby santos has got to be up there too I well i i would figure bobby probably will be and and they're you know jeff jeff threw out an interesting name or other two names that that i think people will really enjoy i think jeff likes the idea of putting drivers who who are you know not of the sort of 
the current Super modified environment into the car. Um, and so he's, he's going to do some of that. I think it's great that Greg's coming back. And, you know, as I've said on this show all along, I don't want to deal with the nonsense that, that's between, you know, Furlongs and, and, and Teresi's and whatever. I would love to have Greg back at Oswego, but it is what it is. I'm happy he's coming back at all. Um, I'm not going to get in the middle of all that. It's personal business. It's not mine. And so I think it's great. And I think Jeff and Greg, they're great friends. Greg started with Jeff, obviously, before he even owned a Super. Uh, Jeff gave him his first uh, opportunity to run a, a big block Super Modified. So, you know, again, I think you need... You need people like Greg. You need those names. It, that'll be a great spark for the ISMA shows that they run because a lot of eyes are going to be focused on Greg and, and how he does with Jeff's car. But from what I understand, he's not going to commit himself to any one organization. He is going to run um, Midwest shows right. along with some of the Yeah, New I England shouldn't have shows. said just ISMA, but, but you know when he's racing – that's a name, and that's a name everybody is going to be following, so it's going to be good for, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's, you know, you'll probably see him in at least one of the IRP shows, I would think, um, or LOR shows. Um, what, what, what I, you know, it's, it's going to be fun. Jeff is, Jeff's a fun guy. He's in a good position right now to be able to, to do some things that, make him excited and he has a lot of contacts and a lot of friends in racing through his his business and his work you know i don't think people realize that jeff does you know it's not he he does work in nascar and indycar he does a lot of work for you know uh sprint car and in dirt racing as well as you know supers or whatever he um he knows so many people and so he has the ability to just sort of say, hey, you want to come and run this race in my super? And yeah. there's another aspect of it that I think we've missed uh, for a long time because you used to see a lot of that and now not as much. And so Jeff is sort of a one of those free spirits who just wants to have fun with what he's doing, obviously wants to win, but... Um, you know, I think Jeff is enjoying the opportunity to to put Greg back in the car. And, um, you know, he had a lot to do, for example, with we were talking about Tyler Thompson earlier. Jeff had a lot to do with Tyler getting the Chili Bowl opportunity. And Tyler certainly made that work <laughs> quite well. Yeah, I he mean, was. Yeah, he did. He, he, he showed his, you know, he showed himself well down there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he won his heat. And then. um you know, was obviously a, a mechanical in the feature uh, that that held him back, or I think he would have been challenging right up front in the feature too. He, you know, so that's the kind of thing you need. You need more people like Jeff in the sport, and I think the way to make that happen is again to expand the base a little bit, and you know, and get some shows in different places where you get somebody to fall in love with the class and say, hey, I want to go build one of these and put this guy in it or this girl in it or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's still um, I think there's still a craving for the Supers. I think people nationwide, when they see them, are still completely, you know, blown away by them. Um, it's just a matter of how we sort of get back to, you know, where there's more participation from more you know, more markets in more areas of the country and, and can 
can even work on our own, you know, the home base areas for the Midwest and New England a little bit, too. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But you have been so fortunate. You have you have had the chance to go and see so many different types of races, so many um, different areas, different tracks. Uh, obviously, you've done the Indy 500 multiple times. Um, yeah. What are what are some of the 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 races or the 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 situations that you would consider to be sort of the most special for you over the years that you've been doing your photography work? Um, well, obviously, the one of the most special races for me is when Jamie won his first feature at, at Thompson. Yeah, told him that that as a photographer that that was a you know that's right up there you know as far as some of the other ones. But, sure. I'm going to see, you know, I've been lucky enough that, you know, I've got just out of happenstance, much like with you, got to work with uh, a few, you know, a few different places. You know, I, um, when I used to go to the, they used to have the night before the midget races out in, uh, uh, at IRP and they, I worked for, um, uh, a couple, a couple of companies out there that just hired me on the spot to do wow. it. So that was kind of special doing, it was actually for dual fold which was a undergarment type of stuff, much like the, 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 uh, Under the, the forerunner to like a lot of the, uh, the wicking clothes, yeah. that, you know, that a lot of the athletes yeah. wear now. Robbie Flack was the driver at, at the time okay. for, uh, for at, at the time for him. That was special. You know, I did photo work for, uh, um, Dale Jarrett Jr. When he was driving the Bush car down at, uh, at, um, Daytona, I've done stuff for, uh, NASCAR groups out at Watkins Glen when Al Unser Jr. was driving the Crisco car. I mean, it's, oh, wow. it's, it's, it's always interesting when you get, you know, just, you know, to go to work for, you know, people and see yep. some of the inside stuff that goes on during that. But I, I've just had fun going everywhere. You know, I uh, want to, you know, going to Ascot Park in California and, and seeing the the CRA uh, or sprint cars run yep. out there, going to, uh, you know, Watkins Glen, watching Mario Andretti in the, you know, a Formula One car, you know, uh, uh, the Swiggo is just too many things that, you know, too many events out there to, to really name. I mean, it's just been, you know, one thing after another, yeah. after another, even, even starting back in the sixties when, you know, we went and they thought Jim Gresley won the classic and Gordon Dukes, they gave it to Gordon Dukes, you know, when Swifty came back from mysteriously from three laps down to win, you know, <laughs> yeah. watching Ballinger win on a last lap, watching Champagne, you know, dominate a yeah. race, you know, the classic when he hadn't raced there all year. You know, those are always be, you know, special races just that you, you know, you got to attend, you know, just, it's just, it's, there's, I've gone to so many, it's really hard to pinpoint something, you know, yeah. going to, going to Indianapolis for the first time, you know, it is, you know, is working press and, you know, getting access to all these places and stuff, you know, going to NASCAR, Daytona. But the thing is, it's just changed so much now. Yeah, too. It is. You know, it's quite different now media wise than it was in the seventies and eighties when I did in early nineties, when I did a lot of the stuff, you yeah, know, you're right. people don't realize I used to go to Pocono and I'd get there an hour and a half before the race and be able to drive right into the place. You yeah. know, when I, when I kind of tapered off from doing that, you'd have to get there you know, four o'clock in the morning, if, if you needed to get into the press parking lot, 
Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and even now, um, you're right, because, uh, you know, there are certain tracks like here at Charlotte where you have your own parking and there's plenty of it. So, you know, you can get there and they shuttle you into the track and, and right. you know, and whatever. And it's but it is much different. And there's there's so much with the digital age now and so many more people trying to call themselves media you know um anybody with a smartphone can write a blog and say i'm a media um it's harder for the tracks now to differentiate and um so it's harder to get access and and you know it's just a different atmosphere now than it was even when i started in the late 80s with the pell times and was doing trackside and you and i were going to watkins Glen or whatever it was so much easier to get access than it is now um and but you you've just had the chance to go to so many events and and be a part of so many different um situations and types of racing and and uh i mean do you ever do you ever allow yourself time because i know you're still really busy do you ever allow yourself time to just sort of sit back and 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 think wow i can't believe i've done all that oh yeah when i you know i always think that i in anything i've done you know i've always thought how lucky i was you know i thought you know how lucky I was to be, you know, able to do radio for so long with you. You know, and and not only just the weekly show. You know, broadcasting from the fairgrounds, yeah, live first ones, yeah, from Fulton and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was just, just, you know, just something that came along. You know, those were. I hate, I, I hate to use that often used uh, quote from Forrest Gump, but, you know, life is like a box of chocolate. You yeah, know, it really is. is. You never you know, know what yeah. you're going to get. With me, yeah. that's what it is. I opened it up, and I didn't know what was, you know, what was actually yeah. coming next, you know? Yeah, it was, those were some great days. I mean, I just... Um, and, and And, you know, I think... To be really honest with you, I, I, you know, I've kind of gone through some different chapters in my work and in my focus, and and I've come back now to being almost, you know, at the point where I was when I started, where you know I have the radio show, or in this case, shows. We've we've had several kids, so to speak, <laughs> radio shows um, that we've uh, we've given birth to in the last year or two, um, and we we're now doing five a week, and and we're adding a monthly safety podcast coming up in april and you know it's it's um it's almost back to the beginning for me now where i can just go to tracks and 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 cover events and and but i but the technology allows you to do so much more with you know being live from anywhere so much easier than it used to be when we were doing those those races at syracuse or or fulton or wherever paul small was a great uh instrument for all of that and really may help make that possible for us and um, but gosh, those were the days we, we really had a chance to go and experience a lot of different, uh, types of racing. And I think I've over the last couple, three years, I've been trying to figure out how can I get back to doing that again? And, um, so I think this year we're, we're, we're going to do a little more of it, although, um, probably not traveling as far as often but I'll, you know you know i don't think because you and i it seems like every weekend we were gone somewhere and we were going all over the country it was crazy um you know can't do that as easily now but you know oswego is a huge focus and the super modifieds for me and um and now we've started the mainly modified podcast with kyle souza which is uh, who's a protege of mine who's been working with nascar and their modified tour pr for the last couple of years and is um, doing some some things on his own now, and um, you know, so modifieds again were the other. I mean, 
boy, the seventies were the glory glory days for those two to Swigo. Oh, absolutely. The modifieds were, you know, it was great. I mean, people realized back when I, and I don't know if you ever attended them or were young, old enough to, was when they used to run the Wednesday night show. No, that was just before. I stay, They did that in like 71, 72. That was just before I started going, so I never got to do any of the, uh, the I wish I had, because I, I read about those now in some of the old programs I have, and it's like, that must have been quite a series. And it, it was, because you had the cream of the crop. There wasn't a, you know, there was no traveling series um back then right. i mean you just had a conglomerate of whatever drivers show up the yep. biggest you know and so you never knew who was going to be there on on nights i mean you had the bouchard brothers there you know um santos you know bobby's dad just a, a litany of different drivers you know evans cook you know they all you know because it was an outlaw show yeah. you know say so it wasn't nascar sanctioned so you just had everybody show up, and it was on an off night where a lot of the, because that was back in the heyday of chasing NASCAR modified points and stuff, where you know Cook and Evans would run all over the Northeast, you know, to races. Yeah, and you know, so you got to see a, a really a lot of good, you know, um, drivers, you know, show up. The shows were amazing. Oh yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think was it Luizaro or Dave Lape or maybe both that had asphalt cars would run in those shows bob mccready was was running both services i mean you had that was the other thing back then is you had a lot of those crossovers well, i think the lazaro you know. and lake thing was more like they that was probably the forerunner of uh you know sanctioning was the all-star races where yeah. they came you know that you came together with dirt yep. you know it was a dirt and pavement drivers yeah. put together yeah you know and, and to run to run shows yeah in fact a little known fact that's where jimmy came up with the red white and blue uh, Champagne came up with a red, right, and blue paint scheme. He ran the all-star races, and that you were awarded a helmet if you won a race or finished all one, and he got a star-spangled helmet, and that's kind of how everything evolved into the red, white, and blue paint jobs and, and his helmets and his race cars. Yeah, and I think Bobby Barzee was the one that uh, originally said he wanted it. I think it was Bobby that told me at the uh, uh, reunion last year at Oswego that um, he went to Jimmy and said, I want to do this. And Jimmy said, it'll look like crap. Bobby said, no, it'll look good. And, and finally, Jimmy said, well, go ahead and go ahead and paint it let's you know and and they did and it just sort of stuck and um yeah that's really interesting and 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 i think it was 74 maybe or 75 the first time he came out with a car that mm-hmm. was red white and blue and and that that always stuck and and yeah his cars his cars were always uh gorgeous cars and and uh never knew red white and blue went with turquoise quite so well but no, I. <laughs> they always look they always look good until the last one the maroon and green 89 i've never been too sure about but um but uh yeah it was they were some crazy days and i don't want to i i don't want to let you go here without i've got to bring this up because um i know that uh people will want to want to hear this but you know you've You've had a lot of uh, experience with Bentley over the years, and I think we all could tell some great Bentley stories, but I've got a feeling that you can think of a couple that would really be funny uh, for us to hear. And I, everybody just loves to talk about Bentley because, well, he's the man. Yeah, Bentley, you know, the, the funny thing is Bentley was, when I was around Bentley, 
people don't really realize, I mean, because of the, the way he is now, Bentley was very introverted and shy in his young days and his younger days. And Kathy, my wife, is one of his biggest fans. Yeah. I don't want to say the biggest because it probably would offend other Bentley fans that, you know, assume the same thing about them, themselves. But he's always very quiet around when when I'm around. Um, but uh, some of just some of the stories, people have probably heard it about the time that they uh, – him and Bill Simpson were late getting on a plane out of either Argentina or Mexico after an IndyCar race because they were out having a few drinks, I would say, <laughs> after the after a race. And they had, you know, this was back when it was USAC days. And they all, because it was in a foreign country, they all had to come and go on one plane. And they had to hold the plane up at a tarmac from, uh, you know, from the, the every, all the drivers and team owners leaving because, uh, Simpson and Bentley weren't uh, <laughs> present, but there there was that one. There was um, Bentley was actually banned from renting cars for a long time. Was, you know, they, yeah. Him, well, I, I don't know if people hung around, but when Cheney and him used to put on uh, burnout clinics in front of the speedway after Saturday night races and stuff, they were very good friends and. They used to be able to see who could burn the tires off their rental cars the fastest. Wasn't there something? Do I remember a story with Bentley and and in your minivan or Kathy's minivan or something at Phoenix? Was there? Am I am I just am I dreaming that or was there some sort of a deal with that that, that with uh, him driving it or doing something or whatever that happened? Oh yeah, he, well he drove it over from you know I I took him I did some stuff when Bentley was um driving or looking into purchasing Sandusky Speedway, he uh, his friend was there with an airplane, and Bentley and I went up in the, he goes, come on, we're going to go up in the plane. I need some aerial shots. So I, you know, I went up in the airplane with him, and, um, he, you know, I go, well, I, I need the plane tilted a little bit so I can get a good angle on it. Well, you know, Bentley being Bentley, <laughs> looked at him, and I'm going, I knew something was up. I mean, they had it just about flying parallel to the ground, and I'm going, that's nice, guys, but I said, I can't get my camera off the, you know, off the side window, you know, so I said, it's kind of hard to take pictures, and then he, then, he drove, then he drove the minivan back from the airport about 130 miles an hour, which... I didn't think it was even capable of doing. <laughs> well, that's Bentley always testing the limits of any machine, right? <laughs> oh yeah, he's you know I, I'm sure people have got better stories than I did. Like I said, he's always, he's always because Kathy's usually with me. He's always been fairly reserved around Kathy and that stuff, just because they I I don't know they just kind of look at each other. Kathy Kathy wouldn't even talk to Bentley for years and years. He just kind of you know admire him from afar. Yeah. But, it really, yeah, he really is like a modern day Marlboro man. And, and oh, I, he was. We had a, you know, we, you know, you go up to, you know, up to his his saloon and that stuff. You have a great time up there. He's fun to be around. Always, you know, you'll see a side of Bentley that I don't think people would see, you know, otherwise. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, I don't think people realize that he'll get up and sing karaoke, which is like shock me. Oh yes, if you go on YouTube, there is a video of Bentley singing. There is a Tia in my beer. Yeah. Um, and so. it's uh, it it is it is Nashville worthy. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say where in Nashville, but it's Nashville worthy. But um, you can have a Bentley beer. He doesn't even have he doesn't have his own line of beer up there. Oh my! Wow, <laughs> I'm surprised that hasn't been. Uh, uh, I tried to talk him into it. I said, "You got to get this can." 
I said, we'll sell a ton of it back. I was going to say, that would would be the most popular beer in a lot of places, including Indy, because people don't realize, you know, I and I experienced it firsthand because I remember the one year that you and I, because we used to always do the Indy stuff leading up to Indy, and then we go to the Little Five and then drive back to Oswego. You and I went to the 500 the one year, and I remember kathy having her bentley jacket on and people were just like it's it's amazing the reaction that that he still gets in indianapolis because so many people know him and he's just like this larger than life figure in open wheel racing all the way across yeah he was like kathy when we used to go to indy used to go up into the photo archives and look for pictures of him and you know they soon as she mentioned a name, you know, they go, who are you looking for? And they go, you know, I'm looking for pictures of Bentley Moore. And the the people up there were just, you know, oh, my God, Bentley, yeah. we love, you know, and it just, and this is 20 years from the time he raced out there. Yeah. And they just remember him, you know, he was, he, he's, his star has shined across the United States for, you know, a long time. Yeah, and it still is. I mean, you've had Dale Jr. talking about him on NBC. I mean, it's just, you know, it's amazing how he just got so big. And, you know, I, I think if you boil it down, you can you can look at all of the adventures and all of the crazy stuff. But you know what? When you boil Bentley Warren down, I think the biggest reason why everybody loves him He's a nice guy. He is. He's, he's just a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, he you know, he's 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 got a very big star, but he acts like he's just one of us. He's never kind of become that. You know, he he uh he's always been a, a very kind of humble, approachable guy. And, you know, now when you see him at seventy whatever he is, and you you know, he's in the shorts and the you know, the Harley gear and the headband and whatever, it's just like who is this guy? <laughs> but, you know, two years ago, we Kathy decided to relinquish her Bentley scrapbooks, and Bentley was building. He has got a museum of his own up there now, which we, he took us on a personal tour of. We went up wow. there two years ago, and we brought the scrapbooks up there. And he, we, we gave them to him, and he, we took us up to the museum. He laid on the floor looking at them, and we were leaving the next day. We left the next day. We were going to a Red Sox game in Boston. Yeah. He called, he called Kathy again, and they must have talked for half an hour, and he couldn't thank her enough for the scrapbooks. And we kind of wondered what was going on with them, you know, if he really was, uh, you know, what, you know, if they were just going right. to become a passing thing, you know, you know, he, you look through them all. Well, we saw a picture of him and a couple of other drivers in his office. He has a table next to his desk with the scrapbooks laid out on him. Wow, that's and awesome. Kathy, it meant, it, that meant a real a lot to Kathy when I'm she sure it that. did. Well, yeah, and then there again, that's that's so Bentley because, you know, he he would be the type to appreciate that somebody took all that time, you know, to, to do that for him. And, and, uh, and I'm sure looking through, you know, what was in the scrapbooks probably brought back a whole lot of memories for oh, Bentley that he'd long forgotten about. You know, oh, he did. He said he couldn't. You know, he, some of the stuff it would it jag his memory. You know, he he he'd look at it kind of puzzled like, and then all of a sudden it, he'd realize, you know, where it was, what it was, tell you the story all about it, and you know, there was. I don't think there was a picture that he looked at that there wasn't a story to go along with it. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I, well, yeah, and there again, he's still very sharp and still, you know, could tell a great story. And 
you know, people have asked me, when are you going to have Bentley on the show? I want to. I have, you know, it's it's hard to catch up to Bentley, but um, we're going to try to make that happen because um, that show might need two or three episodes because I sure a, will. a lot of ground to cover there. I mean, shoot, we got two and a half hours out of Jamie Moore for crying out loud. Yeah. You know? Well, that Jamie can talk. <laughs> yes, you he know, can. You found out. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing with Jamie. When we wanted to leave somewhere, I never let him go in, the, in back into a crowded room <laughs> to be... try and find somebody or, or say, I just got it. No, I said, get in the car now. <laughs> because if he went back into a crowded room, it would be an hour before. Yeah, you well, I, I I can laugh because I know I probably share some of that, whatever, whatever, whether it's a blessing or a curse. I don't know, but I think I probably share that. So, uh, no, it was great talking to Jamie. He's a great guy. And, you know, it's a Again, the the beautiful thing about this sport for me, and you know, I guess we can sort of bring this all to current, and 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 I can I can talk about what we all watched at Daytona on Monday. The beautiful thing about this sport for me is that it's it number one, first and foremost for me, it's really been about the people. And and it's exactly. been about the friendships and and the lifestyle and the excitement and the energy, you know, uh and and I have been blessed over this past year since I brought this show back to reconnect with a lot of drivers and a lot of other people in the sport and to also make some new friends out of drivers that I really didn't ever get to know like Kempton dates and, and, you know, and some of the other guys, um, Brian Herb. And, and it's been so much fun to do these shows because of that. But when, 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 when you're watching a race, I don't care what it is you're looking at, where it is, what division of racing it is and something happens everybody is family and we all exactly. become one and and i think i don't think i think that's the part that when somebody says to me how can you be so into cars going in a circle or whatever how how can you like racing that's the one part that cannot be sufficiently explained it has to be experienced right you know and um, we all, I think everybody's heart stopped for a while on Monday night and we're all thankful that the, that what we're hearing now, and even I just was sent a picture, Bill Taylor, actually the photographer from Oswego sent, just sent me a picture that somebody posted of Ryan. He's up out of bed, picture of him with the family. Um, you know, the, it, it appears as though the, the, uh, the signs are more and more encouraging that this is going to be, you know, a, 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 a good recovery and, and uh, you know, that, that this all wasn't as bad as we feared uh, that it would be when it happened. But that's the great thing about racing is the relationships that get formed. And um, so, you know, for for you and I, I think, uh, you know, I've never had a, a, a partner in this since uh, you and I were doing the show. I've never been able to find another uh, partner that I enjoyed traveling with as much that uh, um, and and so I I really appreciate the friendship we developed and, and uh, look forward to doing stuff like this with you when we can uh, and seeing you, obviously, when I get back up there. So hopefully, um, you know, maybe one day we'll get to go and do some shows together again. All right. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Tom. And always thinking of me, I always, always try and listen to you whenever I can and stuff. You know, the baseball season's coming up. I'm still heavily involved with that. But, uh, you know, I still... 
you know, racing's always been, you know, this in, you know, in my heart and it always will be. And, uh, you know, I, I just look forward to seeing you again, and maybe we'll be able to do a couple of races. Again yeah, together. would be fun. Love to be able to to make that happen again, and uh, and and get together in a car and go somewhere. So we'll uh, we'll we'll look to do that down the road. And uh, folks, that's Rick Nelson, um, my former co-host uh, for the original Inside Groove show, and I will always say um, the person who really gave me the confidence and the encouragement to. You know, whatever else all of the rest of me has been, that's uh, Rick is the guy that uh, that really did that for me. So uh, we'll be back with more of Inside Groove in just a moment. Stay with us. Everyone knows Strutmasters is the suspension experts for luxury vehicles. And now we offer motorcycle products. Introducing Easy Rider, complete motorcycle air suspension brought to you by Strutmasters.com. You can raise and lower your bike with the flip of a switch. Take those long rides with the ultimate comfort of Easy Rider air shocks. They're backed by Strutmasters, and you won't believe the low price. Check out Easy Rider, motorcycle air suspension at Strutmasters.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove and... Boy, I really hope that uh, all of you enjoyed that uh, conversation that we had uh, with Rick Nelson. Rick is um, Rick is one of those friends for me that uh, we all should be lucky enough to have in terms of there's that small number of of friends that you can count on on you know one hand. Um, and Rick just uh, Rick was such a uh, a great motivator for me back in the day, and uh, we had a ball traveling around. We could have spent another hour talking about uh, all of the adventures that we had. Um, I can remember, <laughs> I can remember one year we went to Sandusky, and I, I don't remember what race it was. It might have been the Cavalcade, perhaps. Um, but we went out there, uh, Rick and my brother Kevin and I took off and drove out there and when we got there it was pouring rain and it rained out so we went to uh, a local mall i think and had pizza and turned around and drove all the way back and we're home in time for saturday night thunder that night so uh on espn that that was that's just an example. Rick and I did so much uh, running around together, and, um, you know, those were great days. And the older I get, the more appreciative that I get, thankfully, <laughs> for uh, all of the people who, you know, have been not just uh, inspirations professionally, but also personally as well. And Rick's certainly one of those. So I want to thank him for pinch hitting at the last minute. We were going to, uh, we've been talking about doing a show together for a while. And, um, you know, I wanted to do it sometime in the off season. And there just kept being drivers and drivers and drivers. And we want to prioritize those here on the show. So uh, we thought we had Westy lined up and then his schedule changed. And, uh, of course, Daytona got postponed by a day. So he, he was there an extra day. Uh, I think he went home. Um, 
Sunday and flew back on Monday is the way I I think he told it to me. Um, So he and I will connect here in the next week or so uh, to try and set up a a time for him to be on. Anxious to talk to him. He told me some things that I'm not sure I'm supposed to tell yet, so I'm not going to. Uh, But when I can, they're going to be some pretty interesting things, I think. Uh, And you guys are really going to enjoy what he has to say. Um, And looking forward to uh we've got a couple of other drivers uh in the hopper as well over the next couple of weeks that we're just trying to line up times to interview and that's really the hardest part of doing this folks is just trying to get schedules to match up obviously i've got a lot of shows a lot of things that are going on and um you know everyone else has their own situation so uh we just appreciate your support of the show want to thank uh jeff once again and also thank uh sean and the staff at skips fish fry and of course uh, rich worth and the folks from jns paving for um their support of this show continued support of the show and thank all of you who are listening again i know i kind of hit you over the head with this every week but i can't understate the importance of sharing it out there and also if you could uh go to our inside groove facebook page and uh if you feel inclined Throw us a good review. Those again, those things all matter when you're, uh, you know, putting the show out to people and you're trying to expand it and such. Uh, those things all matter. So uh, certainly appreciate all of you who are so supportive of the show. We're going to just wrap it up right here. Not really a lot of news that I can talk about at this point. But one last point I will make is all of you race teams out there. If you've got fundraisers that you've you've got scheduled or any kind of news, sponsor news, driver news, we're building a new car, whatever it is, make sure you get it to me or get it to Cam and tell him to pass it to me. Uh, But you can just go right to our Inside Groove Facebook page and just send a message through the page and, and I'll see it. Uh, we want to make those announcements on this show. We we want to help you to promote what you got going, but we can't do that if we don't know about it. So uh, let us know, and we'll make sure that it gets out there and do all we can to help you. We're trying to obviously preserve the history of super modified racing, but we also want to help promote the present as well. So again, thanks to all of you. We hope that you have a great rest of the week and weekend. We'll be back next week with another edition of Inside Groove. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.